You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. My name's Dusty. I'm one of the pastors, and we're going to spend just a moment in prayer. Um, We're praying for people that need hope all the way leading up to Easter, and today we're going to be praying for the nations. That would mean just peoples around the world that have little or no access to the gospel, and we want to spend a moment uh, moment praying for them along these three points. So just join me as we pray uh, for our friends around the world that need Jesus as well. So Lord, would you you give um, access to the Bible in every language on earth? Would you make it happen? It would be incredible in our lifetimes if this would, would happen through translators and people to make, uh, make your son Jesus known. And Lord, would you raise up laborers to be sent out? Um, I know even one in the service that's going back um, to make you known among people like this. And you'd raise up new laborers along with those that are, that are taking breaks and whatnot, that you would um, raise them up and send them out. And then, um, God, there would be faith that would emerge someday. Um, from many of these peoples um, that you would um, cause them to believe in you, that there would be a, a, a deep sense of, of trust in you um, and much joy that would flow from that. And I pray all of this together with your people in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, we are in Deuteronomy. What we're doing is, is we're, we're reading through the Bible, no big deal, and uh, preaching through the Bible, no big deal, in a year as a church family. I'd love for you to, to join us in that. So this got this year-long pilgrimage, really seeing the ups and downs and the highs and lows um, that happen as God works in redemptive history. And um, I need to catch you up a little bit, really quick, so you can see what's unique about what we're talking about today. So we're in Deuteronomy, and here's what's unique about Deuteronomy, is Deuteronomy has a a lot about God's people as they come into the land that God had promised them. And there had been a, 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 lot of a, a lot of backstory on getting there, but here's the high point you need to know, is that in Genesis 12, there's an incredibly important promise that God had given to Abraham. And he had told Abraham that he would bless him, and then through Abraham, that he would bless all the families of the earth. So that really goes really nicely with our prayer for the nations. That was the whole idea, is that all peoples, all ethnicities around the world would know who Jesus is. Um, and that, the reason we get there is that through Abraham, that that would come through Israel, uh, from Abraham to Israel, but then uh, Jesus comes from that line, and then his church, our spiritual descendants of Abraham, we know from the New Testament. So that would be the trajectory that that was setting it on is that, that God would be known through his people, ultimately through Jesus, blessing all the families of the earth. But also another part of that promise would be that God would give them a land that they would go. And even at the very beginning, he said, go to a land I will show you. That's how the whole thing started off. And so they've, I mean, there's been a lot to that. Um, you know, hundreds of years of history have, have, have gone, including being enslaved in Egypt. And now they've been wandering in the wilderness. They're right at the beginning of Deuteronomy. They're right the, at the edge of that land. And so a lot of Deuteronomy um, is about a restatement of God's law and covenant and even a few um, additional clarifying points about what it means to go into that land. Fair enough. All good, right? So here they are. That's the redemptive purpose of the land. And uh, now now here they are. They're going to be this holy nation inhabiting this land, uh, making known God's glory. And you'll see some of that in this passage among all these nations. So Deuteronomy 1, 21. So we'll get to Deuteronomy 4 in just a second. You can see a little bit of the Christ. And that's going to push into where the rub is for me and you um, as well. It's not just Israel. See the Lord your God has set the land before you. Uh, This is verse 21 in Deuteronomy 1. 
Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers has told you, do not fear or be dismayed. So he's like, hey, you're right here. Just go in and take it. Go take that land. Um, Now, when he says don't fear, that doesn't mean that there's not reasons to be afraid. There are actually quite a few reasons to be afraid. And uh, you're like, well, what? Well, okay, well, so if you've been reading along with us in our reading plan, again, which I'd love for you to start or restart if you haven't um, or you're new here or any of that, uh, that um, you'd see that they, they would come back and say, hey, look, we're kind of afraid of them. I mean, they're big and all muscled up. They're in the weight room, whatever. I mean, like we, we, they're, they're bigger than we are. There's lots of them. They've got home court advantage, all that. I'm not sure we can go there and take it. Um, and so um, there, one reason to be afraid was that, look, there was, even if it's true that God is going to give you that land, um, that it was going to come at a cost. Like they, they'd built their vineyards and their, their crops and they, I mean, they, they, they established that they ranched their livestock. They built their houses. They had settlements and towns and communities and they had all that. They weren't just going to let you, you come take it and then move to another place. They're going to fight you for it. And there will be casualties, your sons, your brothers, your fathers, they're, they're going to be people lost in battle. It's just going to happen. So there are reasons to be afraid. And furthermore, it changes hard always for people. Even if it wasn't an awesome existence, you knew that existence. You're out in the wilderness. You knew how it worked. People, organizations, churches, businesses are almost inherently conservative in the sense that like we, we know, we know what, what is now and we tend to resist change just in general. And Israel's not any different. So between change and the certain bloodshed that was to come, when he says, don't be afraid, there were legitimate reasons to be afraid. Like it's really hard to trust God with your future and lots of things. It's really hard to trust God. But he says, look, it's not that there aren't reasons to be afraid. But if you'll trust me, I can overcome those fears as well as the actual issue with these people in the land. So trusting God is the real issue. Now fast forward into verse 26 in chapter one. Um, So this is where it goes badly. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt uh, to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. So here's something you need to understand is that um, when you don't trust God, which is what Israel did, they got right up to the edge of the land and they said, uh, I don't think we can take it. We better not. So they got right up against it, right? And, And then they decided not to. Uh, that, that it says here that, that that not trusting of God is described as rebellion. And it won't feel like that to you. What it's going to feel like to you is it's going to be like, well, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of uncertain things. We can't really know this or that. I mean, we know what this is. And, you know, I don't know that we can trust that. It's hard to believe. And, and, and so that, that's what we'll tell ourselves. It won't feel like rebellion. But that's exactly what's described here in verse 26 is that they rebelled against the command of the Lord, that they, they refused to trust him. And so, therefore, when you refuse to trust him, uh, when you don't do that, that that's what rebellion is, is you're like, really ultimately what you're saying is, I can't trust this God that says, even though he saved us from Egypt, that what I can really trust in is myself. If I know what this life we have, even if it's kind of brutal and nomadic, um, I know what it is. um, I know what that is. I I have a sense of control and understanding of of my environment, and I'm going to hold on to that. And in essence, that's exactly the issue here. It's hard to trust God, and they did not at that point. All right, so a generation comes and goes, and now let's fast forward into uh, Deuteronomy chapter four. 
as they're about to enter into the land finally. And now, O Israel, so we're reading the part that Becky read just a moment ago, uh, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land uh, that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. So, um, you know, against that false narrative that we just heard in chapter one that said he actually hates us and you always have to come up with a narrative to kind of explain your choices. God's actually working against us. He's just messing with us. We can't trust all this. He says, look, now he's giving it to you. Go take possession of it, and it's going to be good for you. Just, just trust me in this, that um, when, you, when you trust me, good things happen, that life flows from that. And uh, it, in a lot of ways, this feels real hopeful in this moment. It feels like, hey, you know what? This is, it almost feels like maybe the curtain should drop on the story of God said that he would give them a land, and they're about to enter into the land. But there's this little sense as you read Deuteronomy that you're thinking, maybe not so fast. Maybe this isn't the end of the story, because really the whole rest of the Old Testament, if you want to really put it in context of this, is they do go take the land, all right? They go do that. But um, instead of trusting God in the way that, and obeying him, like is described here in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy clarifies this so much about what it's going to be like to live in the land and what God expected of them that almost all of the prophets are going to point back to Deuteronomy, more so than any other of the first five books of the Bible. They're going to point back to Deuteronomy and say, look, you said that you would do it and you haven't. And here's the penalty. Even at the end of Deuteronomy, there's provision for, hey, when you don't, you may get kicked out of the land. This land that I've provided for you, I may kick you out of it. Um, Yet, here's how you can return. So even in Deuteronomy, there's provision for if and when you rebel and you get kicked out, which does happen later in Israel's history, here's how you would return. And all the prophets are almost like district attorneys and are going to be pointing to the law in Deuteronomy as covenant prosecutors when God's people um, don't trust him and rebel against him. So um, this is all there for them. Trust me and come into the land. Verse 2. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. So um, this is right here is really interesting when he says, don't add to it. So trust me, but he specifically says, don't add to my commandments, don't take away. And you may be thinking, well, how would somebody like add I mean, there are a lot of commands in the Bible, if you haven't noticed. I mean, sometimes um, it, it could be a little bit bothersome sometimes. Like churches can almost like spin it. It's almost like all the commands are like small print. And it's like, ah, God wants you to, he's for you. And don't worry about all that stuff. There's actually a lot of commands in here, you know, that flow from this renewed relationship we have with God through Jesus. There's a lot of commands in the Old and New Testament. Um, why would somebody add to it? Well, here's the thing. Here's where we can do it. Convictions are really good. In fact, we're encouraged to have strong convictions even on things that the Bible isn't like crystal clear about. Um, if you look towards the end of the book of Romans, you're actually encouraged to even be, to be fully resolved and convinced in your own mind on things that aren't clear in the Bible, but you feel personally convicted to do um, and knowing that other Christians may see that differently, all right? And that's even how the book of Romans really ends is how do you live when you've got some different convictions on these things? But what we can do sometimes is add to God's word in a way where it's not a conviction, but it's like a, hey, thus saith the Lord. And if you're really committed to the Lord, you're going to see this the same way I do. And it could become dangerously close to what Jesus confronted with the Pharisees when he said in Matthew 23 that you you load up this extra heavy burden for people to carry and you don't lift a finger to help them. And you just add these extra loads of you better and you better. And you're like, wait, that isn't in the Bible. And you can do it with a, a bunch of things on both sides of the issues. You could do it with something like alcohol.
alcohol. You um, can't drink alcohol ever in any, uh, in any quantity, or if you're really free as a Christian, you must drink it. Or you could say women must not work outside of the home if they really love Jesus and their families, or they, they absolutely, they must not, or you must say they must work outside of the home. Or you could say, I mean, with almost anything, you need to vote for this party or that party, or um, I mean, on and on and on. I mean, we could have, I could give you dozens of examples of ways that we make a few rules up that go beyond convictions and even say, if you're going to be faithful to the Lord, this is, even though the Bible doesn't say that, we're going to, we're going to add that and then make that an extra requirement to really be in and trusting him and be part of this church or anything else. Um, but we can also take, we can also take things away from God's word. I think this is the more common one, honestly, where, um, and this is really, we're just really used to kind of spitting out the bones with things we don't agree with. Um, and so what we'll do is we'll hear things in the Bible and be like, man, I love that. But that's so great. I love mercy. I love forgiveness. I love the Bible's teaching on that, that through Jesus, that we can access forgiveness. I love that. Now, I'm not so crazy about the Bible's take on sexuality, so I'm going to kind of, I'm going to kind of, that's kind of archaic. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of throw that out. I love the Bible's teaching on uh, conflict resolution, you know, and how you you don't run your mouth about somebody and go to them directly, get some help. Love the teaching on that, uh, you know, as opposed to slander and so on and so forth. Not so crazy about the Bible's teaching on generosity or whatever. And so, like, we're just so used to doing that. We're like, I don't feel comfortable with this, so I'm going to, I'm just going to kind of discard that. But I like these other things. But the reality is, is what God's saying here is, look, it's a, it's a package deal, the whole thing. Now, here are the only exceptions for that is in the Old Testament law and the New Testament, the New Testament gives us this interpretive grid on why I'm saying this is certain aspects of the law are no longer binding for Christians. So like the ceremonial aspects of the law, even the civil law for Israel as a nation, those aspects of the cleanness laws that are related to the ceremonial laws about, you know, if you, uh, you know, you, you are allowed to eat bacon now. All right. Those kind of things, gratefully. Um, so, um, that those, but those things are clarified in the New Testament on why it is that, that these aspects of the law were fulfilled in Jesus. But like the whole, like the, the moral aspect of what God has laid out in the Bible is a package deal. And the question that's on the table is, will you trust him or not um, with what he says? And there's always going to be issues in our culture Always, any culture at any time, the things may change, but a given culture at a time is going to feel, um, is going to say, I, I think that law right there, that command, command right there is out of place. And you're just going to feel some tension there, but he's saying, don't take away. Um, trust me in these ways. Trust is at the heart of it. Verse three, your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. Uh, for the Lord your God destroyed the, from among you the men who followed the Baal of Peor, uh, but you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. So here's the point of this. There was something that happened, involved sexual morality, idolatry, among other things. <clears throat> and uh, there, basically what happened is, is that several people died. And that may seem harsh, but a principle across the whole Bible is that sin deserves death. Always, both testaments. All, that's always the pattern. And if you if you sin, if that seems wrong to you, that's why we have a cross. That because of sin, all of the sin of all people who would believe um, of, of all time um, was placed on Jesus on the cross. Like he paid that penalty for you. That's the whole reason we have a cross. Was resurrected from the dead to conquer the power of sin and death. So um, sin and death are are linked. And the same is also true. Obedience and life are linked. And there's lots of different kinds of life and death beyond just like eternity. Here's the reality that we have a hard time getting through our heads. I know I do. I just don't think I'm the only one. Is that um, we're not going to game the system. Like we can think all the time to ourselves. 
I know that the Bible says this thing is wrong or I should be doing this thing, whatever it is. And I know I, know I should, but I don't know, man. I, I, just, I know about forgiveness and this is the game that Christians will play in our head and the new narrative we come up to justify our decisions. I know what the Bible says, but it's been tough to be me and I know God also wants me to be happy and I think it'll be fine. You know, like real quick, like we just come up real quick like that. It'll be fine, I'm sure. And, uh, and we come up with a real quick justification for it and thinking that you can game the system, that I can think on this thing or I can do this thing and, and it's not gonna have an impact. Look, I, just as a way of warning, I don't know what you're going through, but you almost certainly have something you're thinking about when I say this, like an area of sin and rebellion where you, you just refuse to trust him in this area in your life and where you can be tempted to think you can game the system. Look, I've had so many conversations with people over the years that I end up talking with that, that have some like catastrophic decision they made, all right? It could have been an affair, could have stole money, um, could have blown up a relationship and said things that they just couldn't get those words back in their mouth once they were out there and like something, something with a lot of lasting consequences. And almost every time when someone is in that room, they're like, man, if I, if I would have known the consequences to my choices, I would have done something different. If I, if I would have known, because I was just thinking I, I wanted this thing and I could have, I can make this choice and it's just what I wanted and, and God would probably look over it and no big deal. I just didn't realize the ripples. I had no idea the impact it would have on people. And it always does, always. Like you don't game this. And when we cultivate hidden patterns of sin and our own way, I mean, trust is at the issue and life always flows from trusting and obeying God. Death always flows from disobeying God, always. Like that's the principle. Um, and, and that's what he's stating here for Israel as they are, are about to enter the land. Keep moving into verse five. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the, uh, the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Again, this is the whole point of Deuteronomy, a restatement of God's laws as, um, as they're entering uh, into the land. Now I'm gonna read verses uh, six through eight. And this is a, a part here for us that we're gonna see some really cool stuff even some missional implications for uh, what I'm going to describe as outsiders in a moment. Um, these would be people that literally would be outside of Israel because that was the whole point of the land is they would enter in, the land would be holy, um, everyone in it would be dedicated to God, um, obeying God's laws, um, God at the temple in Jerusalem in a way that they could access and it would be a light to the nations, to the Gentiles that were surrounding Israel. That was the whole point of the land. Uh, so now look at this um, in verses six through eight and we're going to see three things that flow from it. Keep them and do them, those commands, that, that, uh, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. That's all these peoples and nations around. When they hear of these statutes, we'll say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I've set before you today? So I've got three results in these three verses, three results of trusting and obeying God. And these are like missional results of the impact we will have on our city and world and nation and everything else. So here's three results. Number one, that outsiders um, will see God's wisdom. So this would mean people outside of Israel, 
but it would mean, including if you're here today or watching online, you're not a Christian, you even know that you're outside of these beliefs that we have and this covenant community of the church. And, and so my hope would be that these things would happen even for you today while you listen. Uh, that outsiders will see God's wisdom um, really specifically in God's people. Like in verse six, it talks about this, that, um, that, that these wisdom, that these um, attributes will be uh, your wisdom and understanding. In verse eight, um, that it, it, uh, it talks about um, also these great rules that we have, which we'll get to in a moment too. But wisdom would mark God's people. And the idea would be this, is that there would be wisdom flowing from how they interact with people, how they make decisions. Because wisdom is this kind of fuzzy thing in the Bible. It, yes, it's God's commands and being instructed by the Bible, but it's also knowing how to treat people and how to live and how to, how to interact in tough situations and how to handle a situation that, that, um, that is very delicate and on and on. Like the wisdom is very broad. And, but the idea would be is people that have been informed by the Bible and have been instructed by God in his word in a way that they look at life in a way that would be so attractive that it would make you wonder like what kind of God, um, what kind of a God would be behind someone like that? You know, that, that this, this person is markedly different than anyone I know. And I know that they have belief, like what kind of God, like it's, point, it's like an arrow pointing to, um, to a wise and, and an awesome God. Um, now, I'll let you determine if that's what people would say about us right now or not. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if, if people look around at Christians are like, oh, what a wise and diplomatic and kind and passionately, uh, passionately centered on God's truth in the Bible and not all these secondary issues that we've made up um, or anything like that. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'll let you determine if that's what we're known as, but that would be a result of wisdom being formed in us is a, a way of relating that's, that just drips of God's kindness and his truth and his wisdom. Um, this is interesting. It's just a real quick aside. I mean, it's related, but look at this little triangle here that Jared Harper on staff shared this with me the other day. I thought it was really good. Like this is a wisdom pyramid. I want to come back and look at this later, this spring or this summer. But I thought this was really helpful for me. Like this is how like wisdom is informed. The foundation is the Bible. And then the next, the next thing is the church, God's people, whenever we gather, also our relationships. The next nature and beauty builds on that. Books bring some clarity. Then like at the very top, like final steps, like cherry on top, you might find some helpful things on, on the, in the internet. And maybe on social media, maybe. Like that's the last thing and only if it fits in these other things you're learning with a foundation being in God's word. We tend to pretty much invert that right now and uh, find most of our information off of Twitter. Um, and, and, then, and then we filter that, build on that with the internet broadly in articles we might read. And then we build on that with books and nature and beauty. And then the last thing would be the church. And then finally the Bible, like we need to invert that. That's how, that's how wisdom is shaped in God's people. But there's, there's something that happens even as outsiders see his wisdom in his people. Uh, number two, um, outsiders will see something of God's righteousness too. Again, in verses six and eight, we just read those. There's this, this great nation is wise and understanding, but even verse eight, that even that his statutes and his rules are so righteous um, that, that even, even his commands, for them, this is specifically talking about the law, that they would be attracted to even the way that their society would flourish with God's commands. So for us, we have a lot more than the law. Like we've got this whole thing now, all right? And that we have 
have the law, but then we had the thing that the law was pointing towards, which is Jesus crucified and resurrected. Like we've got, we've got the whole thing. Now we've got the beauty and the wonder of grace along with God's commands that lead to human flourishing, including your own flourishing. And um, it's really incredible that we've got grace and it, grace is so beautiful. I mean, like really it is um, talking about Jesus through his death and resurrection and the power of forgiveness, the experience of grace is incredible. Um, there are times where I'm doing a wedding or something that's more of, I'd describe it as a road game, you know, like it's not a church service, but out somewhere in the community um, talking about maybe it's a funeral. It could be a lot of things. And, um, and every once in a while, I have people come up that are like, man, that is so beautiful. Thinking about mercy like that, thinking about God. I don't know that I can believe that, but it's really beautiful. You know, like that, that's what this is talking about is we hold such a beautiful reality of the power of grace, um, the impact of God and his mercy and these beautiful commands that flow from this renewed relationship we have with God. Um, what an awesome thing. Third and finally, um, as outsiders, uh, these outsiders will see God's nearness. And that's verse seven. Um, For what great nation has a God so near to it as the Lord uh, our God is to us whenever we call upon him? When they occupied that land, eventually God would build the temple there in Jerusalem and God would be dwelling among them. And that was the whole point of it is that God wouldn't just give them some things and say, hey, go do these things. I'm out and good job. But he would continue to dwell near them. And then now here's where this takes other steps. Again, it's so beautiful and it's compelling missionally to outsiders that have never known um, this gospel of grace is that God came near Jesus, um, crucified, resurrected, incarnated as a baby and taught and lived and suffered and died. And he did all this. And then for everyone that would put their hope in him through his death and resurrection, even the Holy Spirit is given internally, God dwelling near to you. Like whatever was true here in Deuteronomy 4 is true to the nth degree now that we've got this awesome God of grace who now dwells in side of us, individually, corporately together, where, where we gather, that he is near to us. And that that would be an attractive thing that, hey, this is somebody that doesn't have another hot take on things, but actually has some kind of a connection with God. And you want to talk about... That is something that people in our world, there's not a category for that. And that's the whole point is that we walk near to, uh, with God and we also um, uh, trust him and his commands uh, that it actually has an impact to the outsiders, to God and his grace that are around us. And you don't have to stay as an outsider. You really don't. Uh, finally, in verse nine, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget these things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And I love this, this call to be diligent in this, that it doesn't happen by accident. Um, we just tend to forget. And that is the bottom line. We forget even the most sincere Christian in this room or watching online. Like you believe this stuff, but then you forget and you waver and you put your eyes on something else and you stop trusting God in an area of your life. It gets out of control. You are riddled with anxiety and you, I mean, that, that's, this is the layout for how all of this goes for us. And it says, look, man, just keep your soul diligently. Keep a watch on it and just continue to trust him um, lest you forget and then even pass this on to your children. And so um, listen, God is holy 
That much is true. Like sin is serious, uh, but he's also near to us. He's come near to us um, through the Bible. He's come near to us through Jesus Christ coming to this earth and being crucified and resurrected. For every Christian here, he's come near to you through the Holy Spirit. He's got lots of commands. They're everywhere. You don't need to add to them. You don't need to take away. But listen, what I can tell you is, is that he's trustworthy and that there's life there in trusting him. There's life in God's commands. And um, on the areas that we're having a hard time I'm trusting him. Here's the thing I can say with clarity, um, and, and I want so much for my life to fully reflect this, is that, um, that there's life there in obedience and trust to him, and there's always death there when we don't. So let's lean in and trust deeply into the promises of God. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, thank you that your way leads to life. Thank you that your mercy is real. Uh, thank you for your good commands. Thank you for the cross and resurrection. Thank you for the spirit and that, um, that there would be something credible about how it is that we live that would just be an arrow that would point to a wise and understanding God who is near to his people. Lord, let it be, um, whether that for the first time for someone or as a repeat uh, for a Christian that's known you for decades. And I pray that for Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.